But if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to uh, John chapter 21. We are um, a couple of weeks into our new series uh, entitled Follow Me, through which we're taking a look at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And the way we're going about that is uh, by looking... That's weird. Sorry. Uh, We're looking at the lives of the 12 young men who spent three and a half years of their life following every single step Jesus took. They followed Jesus literally and physically, and and then what we learn from their lives, we're applying it to our lives. Um, The the first couple um, weeks, we looked at stories where Jesus took his disciples on a trip. And um, the first trip um, was a trip through Samaria, which was a place that the disciples had spent their entire lives avoiding because the, the Jews hated the Samaritans. Um, but Jesus wanted them to understand. He led them to a place that they have avoided their whole lives. He wanted them to understand <clears throat> and, and that following Jesus means expanding the limits that we have a tendency to put on God's love that's, that's exercised and, and expressed through us. And so he led them to a place of not only interacting with people that they've hated their whole lives, but actually even ministering to them. And then last week we looked at Mark chapter 4, where Jesus takes his disciples on a trip across a lake. And in the middle of this lake, a huge storm blows in, and, and their teach, Jesus was teaching them how to trust him, even when following him means you end up in the middle of a storm. Um, Today we're going to look at a story that takes place at at the Sea of Galilee, and it's after Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, It's in John 21, uh, beginning with verse 1. What's happened so far is that Jesus has appeared to a few of his disciples, but not all of them, okay? So verse 21, later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from, from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, and if you... If you've ever read through the Gospel of John, you know this is how John identifies himself. It's kind of weird. He kind of identifies himself in the third person as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that, that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. Peter, at this point, had not seen Jesus. He had... He was one of the ones who didn't get to see Jesus when Jesus appeared to the disciples. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, 
fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. This, of course, is that really intensely personal moment that Jesus had with Peter where where Jesus restores Peter after Peter had denied Jesus three times just days before. So for each time that Peter had denied him, Jesus gave him an opportunity to affirm his love for him. But then Jesus shifts gears a little bit and tells Peter something that he didn't particularly enjoy hearing. Verse 18. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around and saw behind them the the disciple Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, or no, yeah, had asked, Lord, who will betray you? Peter asked Jesus, what about him, Lord? So upon hearing the news that he was going to die at the hands of other people, Peter looks around for the closest human being he can find, and it's like, well, what about him, Lord? Kind of reminds me of when I was a kid. I was the oldest of three kids. I had one sister who was about just a little over a year younger than I was. And then we had another one that came like 10 years later. So me and my first sister were like, you know, we were the, it was just us two for a long, for a long time. But um, anytime we went somewhere in the car that was longer than 10 or 15 minutes, uh, my sister and I would start messing with, with each other, right? I'm sure your kids don't do that, right? Because they have technology to keep them busy and satisfied. You know, they have cell phones and Pokemon and augmented reality, all kinds of stuff, right? We had none of that, right? We had nothing. And, and it didn't take long for the boredom to set in. And so we'd start poking at each other and messing with each other and, and eventually fighting with each other. And But every single time, regardless of who started what or who did who to whatever, I was always the one getting yelled at. I was always the one getting in trouble, getting separated or getting yelled at from my parents. 
and and and, it was, and 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 my sister would just like she'd start snickering at me like like you know because once again she played it so that she, I was the one who got in trouble and not her. And I always remember saying, "What about her? Right? She started it. What is she? Look what she's doing to me, and, and it's not fair." I think Peter is having one of those moments. He doesn't like what he's hearing from Jesus that he, that he, and he obviously doesn't think it's fair. And so he looks around for the closest human being he can find. He's like, what about him? Now you would think Jesus, you know, being the love of God in the flesh, would sort of soften the blow a little bit, kind of talk him down from the ledge. You know, like, oh, Peter, you're right. Um, here I am telling you you're going to go down and go down hard. I should have uh, said it a little differently, you know, like, like, you know, John might not die the same way that you will, but I suppose we all die. But your death, Peter, is going to bring glory to God. But no, Jesus doesn't help Peter out at all. Verse 22, Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Jesus is like, okay, what's the exact opposite of martyrdom, martyrdom, right? If I want him to live forever, what is that to you? And then he says once more, you follow me. So from this exchange, I'd like to make a few observations that sort of reveal to us some profound truths about what it really means to follow Jesus. And if you're looking for a life of fairness, Jesus might not be your guy. As a matter of fact, planet Earth might not be your planet of choice, okay? Because life's not fair. Not sure I get an amen on that one. <laughs> life's not fair. And sometimes it's more apparent than other times, isn't it? And here we have one of those moments for Peter, but Jesus doesn't try to fix the obvious unfairness. In fact, he only seems to amplify the unfairness, and this stresses one more time, you follow me. The first observation I'd like to make is following Jesus means we're all following the same person, but we don't all walk the same path. And what I mean by that is we're all following the same Jesus to the same destination. But my journey doesn't look like your journey. My path doesn't look like your path. Now let me clarify something real quick before we move on. What I'm not saying here is that every bad thing that happens to you is ordained by God. You understand what I'm saying? Um, You and I, through sin and disobedience, which, by the way, is not following after Jesus, right? We can make some pretty bad mistakes and sort of alter the plan and the path God has laid out for us. Does that mean God gives up on you? No. We've altered the path, and from the point of alteration, Jesus continues to say, follow me. The same would be true as if another person exercised, or, or through sin and disobedience, exercised their free will against you and did something that altered the course of your life. Maybe a drunk driver hits your car and a family member dies or you're maimed for life. Or maybe someone 
abuses you in some way, and, and now you have a hard time trusting or forgiving people. So just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean it's God. We live in a fallen world, and we have an enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And your path might change, but Jesus will continue to say, follow me. You guys with me still? Okay. The path I'm talking about, so that's what I'm not talking about. The path I am talking about is the path of following Jesus. The path of becoming more and more like him. And as we can tell from the text, the path that brings glory to God. Right? And that's what following Jesus is all about. It's doing his will. It's allowing him to transform you from the inside out and living our lives ultimately to glorify God. But no two paths look exactly the same. You're following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. But your journey, your path looks so much different than my path. But do you know what really... when follow, you know what makes following Jesus really difficult and complicated? When you start focusing on comparing your path with someone else's path, rather than focusing on the person you're supposed to be following after. You can begin to resent following Jesus when you compare your journey with someone else. Ever met someone whose path looks wider, brighter and cooler better than yours you're like your path is like paved with asphalt nice and smooth obvious where to go look at my path it's rugged rocky sometimes there and sometimes not we're all following the same Jesus but we don't have the same path and that can be challenging And be careful of making assumptions that other people aren't following Jesus because their path doesn't look like your path. Right? There are, are of course, common fruits that we all should bear as a result of following Jesus, like loving one another and doing your best to follow God's word and obey his commands and and, and be obedient to the moral standards of Scripture. But our pathways look radically different in that process. And what I love about watching other people's pathways is that it challenges me in my walk. And it makes me a better person. So embrace and enjoy the unique spiritual journey that God has given you. You know, one of the joys of all of us having the same person, or following the same person, but having different, very different paths, is we get to celebrate the diversity and the differences of other people's paths. Like, wow, that is so cool that you, that you get to do that. Or, wow, that is so awesome that God is using you in that way. I mean, how, how boring would it be if we all had the same path? So much for testimony time, right? There wouldn't be no testimonies because we'd all have the same path, right? But we're part of the, the tapestry that makes up the church of Jesus Christ around the world. And there are so many people in every part of the world who are in need of Jesus, and he sends all of us to walk different paths. And can I just encourage you not to limit your path by saying, 
well, this is the only path I'll ever walk in my journey with Jesus. Because God is famous for creating new paths and making you eat your words. (laughs) So focus on the person, not the path. I mean, isn't that the whole point of what Jesus was saying to Peter? He said to Peter, follow me. He said it twice in this discourse between the two of them. He didn't say, follow this path. He didn't say, he didn't promise to give him a smooth, perfect, a perfectly smooth path to follow. He also didn't promise him that his path would look like someone else's path. He said, follow me. The safest place, the most fulfilling place, and most exhilarating place for your soul is following the person of Jesus who has custom designed a path just for you. You know, one of my jobs is not to make sure that all of your paths lead to this church. My job is not to make sure that your path gets you back here every Sunday. My job is to be used by God to help equip you to follow the one that you're supposed to be following. My job is to continually point you back to him, the one that you're following, and to cheer you on when it gets difficult. Because it does. So we all follow the same person, but we don't all have the same path. Another observation we can make is that following Jesus means we're following a person not an idea. And what I mean by that is that we all have ideas, and God celebrates our ideas. Ideas are great. Ideas are amazing. And, and you know, ideas are how this building was built. Ideas are, are, are how, you know, the reason we have a government and economy, even the clothes you have on, started with an idea. Right? So ideas are awesome. Um, but we're not following ideas. Right? We're following Jesus. And here's the difference. Oftentimes someone will come into an environment like this and and they'll hear all about God and salvation and mercy and grace and forgiveness and love. And all of a sudden it dawns on them, wow, you know, I have have a good education. I have a great job. I have a great family, nice house, nice car. The only thing I don't have is spirituality. So I'm just going to add that back. I'm going to add that into my life so that I will be a well-rounded American citizen perfectly poised for success. Jesus will become my business partner. He'll become my co-pilot. And together we'll build a business. We'll build a church. We'll build a success story. And it will be amazing. And when people ask me how I did it and start to, and, and, and people recognize me and celebrate my success, I'll say, it was God. But wait a minute. So now, Jesus has become a means to fulfill an idea? Who are we following? Jesus or an idea? See, Jesus is not the means to fulfilling your ideas and plans. Be careful of that because God is famous for taking your idea and replacing it with his. Just to remind you 
that it's about him. It's not about your business plan. Pastor, can you pray for me? Yeah, what's going on? My business is falling falling apart. That dirty devil, come on, let's pray. And sometimes that's very appropriate, right? But there's another prayer we don't talk about so much. Oh, your business is falling apart? Praise God. God is accomplishing his will. Because maybe God has bigger plans. Maybe God has better plans. I mean, can we just be honest for a second and talk about all the prayers God didn't answer? I mean, there are so many prayers that I prayed that I look back on and think, thank you, God, for not answering that one, right? I mean, like some of you were like, oh, Jesus, can I... Can I marry her? And now you look back and they're like, thanking God he, he didn't let you marry her, right? I mean, there's so many prayers that we've prayed that we're so thankful he didn't answer. The truth about following Jesus is that sometimes God will divinely frustrate your plans to get you back on his plan. problem with God is he acts like God. (laughs) Which brings me to my final observation. We're following a person with a very strong will. Have you ever been around a strong-willed person? Anybody ever marry a strong-willed person? I mean, strong-willed people are famous for always what? Getting their way, right? And can I remind you Jesus always gets his way. But what's so awesome about this strong-willed person is that his will is perfect. His will is flawless. He has never wanted something wrong. He has never desired anything with selfish motives. He is strong-willed, but his will is perfect. It's funny how, you know, when we start following Jesus, we start making all these plans and all the things we're going to do for God. And so we're like planning out our 20s and we're planning out our 30s and planning out our 40s and our 50s and on into retirement years. And, and then we're like, okay, God, here it is. Here's my plan. Oh, wait, what? No? Okay, so which, which, which part, which, which decade, you want me to just tweak a little bit? No to all of it? Get behind me, Satan. That can't be God. <laughs> I mean, you, you know that verse that you hear preachers say so eloquently that you don't really understand what it means? Like, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. And everyone goes, ooh, I like that verse. That's going to be my verse for the year. Be careful what you wish for, though. Man plans his way, and then God butts in. But, no, 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 I made my plans. The Lord directs his steps. I like the way the New Living Translation renders that verse. Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. 
See, we're so concerned with our plans. But God is more concerned with our steps. Man plans his way. This is, this is going to be amazing, Lord. I mean, this is going to be incredible. Let, let's, let's, let's go. Let's go. Okay, well, yep. Yeah, I, I suppose I could take a step this way. Next day. Okay, ready? Let's go. This is going to be awesome. Oh, well. Okay. Okay, you ready now? Come on. We can, we can, this is going to be great. Oh, oh, okay. And before you know it, give it 10, 20, 30 years. And you're going to end up in places you never imagined you'd be. It may not look like what the world would define as success, but she'll be way far off better spiritually. You'll be so much better off spiritually, and you will have laid up treasures in heaven. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord, not by me. And those are the surest steps you can take in life. The ones that he directs you to take. And it's okay to make plans. Just know that God can override it all. There's nothing wrong with making plans. Dream big. Write them down. Believe for the best. But just know that God can override all of them. And when he does, just lean in. Don't fight it. Don't. Push back. Just lean in and follow him. Do you think Peter, sitting up in heaven right now, with any regrets for following Jesus? No way. Do you think he he wishes that he would have died a different way that brought less glory to God? Heck no. There is more to life than this life. And Jesus is leading us to places of fulfillment and reward that is beyond the scope of our imaginations. See, I want to to follow Jesus. I don't want to follow a version of me. I don't want to follow a career path. I don't want to follow some idea that I had. I want to follow the living God. And I pray that that's your heart too. Look at how John ends his gospel. And as we read this, notice the magnitude at which he writes. Verse 24. This disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. Imagine, try to picture that imagery. So many books that the whole world couldn't hold them. What are you saying, John? Are you saying that Jesus is that wonderful, that beautiful, that inexhaustible, that extraordinary? That's exactly what he's saying. 
I mean, can't you just like see John sort of inviting us in with those words? You want in? You want to follow this amazing person, God in the flesh? It, if, that if everything had ever been written about him, there would not be room in the whole world to contain the books. Do you want to follow the epitome of wonderful? The definition of beauty and majesty and glory? Or do you want to trade it in for your puny little plants? Do you want to trade it in for your own safety and perceived security? Peter and John and all those who have gone before invite us to lean in and follow Jesus with everything we've got, no matter what may come. The treasure is Jesus. He's the reward. You know, after following Jesus for more than 30 years now, I can tell you that when you focus on the when and the how and the why and the what, life gets pretty difficult and confusing and complicated. But if you'll shift your focus from the how, the why, the what, and the where, and focus on the who, Everything just falls into place. There is no better way to live your life. So are you willing to follow Jesus on the path he has for you? It's unique. It's different. It's different from anybody else. And it is far worth anything else you can come up with. Amen? Let's pray.